Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 49 of Minds Over Money. I'm your host, Cameron Brady, and on this week's episode, I'm covering three headlines from last week that directly impact the economy, as well as having potential implications on your own investment portfolios. And those headlines are, beware of QR code scams, part-time retirement programs are on the rise, and what the Fed's interest rate increase means for you. In addition to those headlines, I'm also covering another financial planning topic, and this week, it's goals without deadlines are just dreams. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy. This week's first headline is beware of QR code scams. It's so easy to click on a QR code and criminals are counting on it. During the Super Bowl in February, one ad grabbed a lot of attention, a mysterious bouncing QR code that enticed viewers to point their phones at their screens and click through an unknown website. Spoiler alert, it was for Coinbase, the popular crypto trading platform, And within seconds, more than 20 million people had done just that, crashing the cryptocurrency exchange platform. The incident illustrated just how willing people are to click on QR codes. But unfortunately for consumers, marketers aren't the only group that understands this. Two months before, in December, a much darker scenario involving QR codes unfolded when malicious actors placed QR code stickers on parking meters in major Texas cities, directing drivers to a fraudulent website where they supposedly could pay for parking. While QR code scams aren't common, the risks are rising. The Better Business Bureau's scam tracker site lists just 46 QR code-related attacks in the U.S. since March 2020. But as consumers become more accustomed to using QR codes, there has been a 750% increase in QR code downloads since around March of 2020, according to link management service Byteley. Security officials expect more attacks. The FBI even released a statement in mid-January about QR code schemes to raise awareness. In a typical scenario, scammers post a notice, often posing as a business or other organization that people recognize and trust. That includes a quick response code, a type of matrix barcode that stores information. When scanned with a camera or app, the code leads to a web page that might ask unsuspecting users to enter personal information, such as a credit card, which is then stolen, or it may install malware to gain access to victims' devices in perpetuity. Originally devised in the 1990s by a subsidiary of Toyota to track cars and parts during manufacturing, QR codes replaced things like menus, tickets, brochures, package tracking numbers, and boarding passes as the country moved to touchless interactions when the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Rather than handing out menus, for example, a restaurant might ask patrons to simply scan a square matrix barcode with their smartphone cameras, which would lead them with one click to a website where they could view the menu. Now those squiggly squares are seemingly everywhere. When they're malicious, QR code scams are essentially a new form of phishing attack where scammers direct victims to a bogus website and proceed to ask for their personal information. Most smartphones just read the code and open the link without ensuring that it is safe or that it is in fact what it says it is, so users may not know they've been had. Adept attackers can use a QR code to send users to a spoof site for exploitation then pass the information users enter onto the authentic site, an action called a man-in-the-middle attack in cybersecurity parlance. Scammers are exploiting a decision-making mechanism smartphone users have taken for granted, urgency bias. According to security researchers, there are some simple rules to follow to avoid being had by a QR phishing scam. Only scan QR codes that are baked in, meaning they are printed on a device or other informational material at the time of manufacturing, not just stuck on after the fact. 
Most legitimate QR codes are not a sticker someone has added on. If you do scan one, check the domain that pops up on most smartphones before clicking. The parking meter scam in Houston, for example, sent users to now-defunct passportlab.xyz that then directed them to log into a quick pay parking system. That should have been a red flag since a legitimate QR code from a city would likely lead the user to a municipal website, usually ending in .gov or .org, or to an obviously city-run app typically advertised by being printed on metal and affixed to the pole. The best way to thwart would-be scams is to manually input the desired website when a QR code seems fishy or untrustworthy. Installing a QR code scanner app with added security can also help identify swindlers should you choose to scan. The rest comes down to standard cyber hygiene and practices everyone should employ to prevent against any manner of phishing attack. Use a password manager which won't autofill your credentials on a suspicious site. Make sure your credit cards have functions to protect against theft and fraud, and don't input personally identifiable information on an unknown website. While I am sure most of us have gotten used to the QR codes that seem to be everywhere since the start of the pandemic, it's always a good reminder that when using our devices, we must always be vigilant with our cybersecurity. If something seems fishy, it probably is. Remember, anything that can be encoded, people will figure out how to turn it into a scam. This week's second headline is part-time retirement programs are on the rise. Workers have longed for a way to ease into retirement while keeping some pay and benefits, and more companies are giving it a try. Plenty of older workers have wished for something between full-bore work and retirement. Now more companies seem to be giving them what they want. Phased retirement programs, which allow workers nearing retirement age to cut back on their hours while keeping some pay and benefits, are growing in popularity. Human resource executives say the pandemic has opened bosses to flexible work arrangements, while the fierce hiring market and higher-than-expected rate of retirements have motivated managers to find ways to retain older workers with key skills. In a forthcoming survey of over 1,700 HR executives worldwide from consultant Mercer LLC, about 38% say they offer phased retirement, more than double the 17.2% that did so before the pandemic. In the U.S., 23% of employers had these arrangements in 2021, up from 16% in 2016. A growing subset, 8%, up from 6% in 2019, have introduced formal programs, which generally target older workers who meet certain criteria. Another 15% offer the option on an informal or ad hoc basis, frequently to employees in hard-to-fill roles. Phased retirement is a way to slow the brain drain and manage talent shortages at a time when the U.S. workforce is aging. Some workers have longed for such arrangements, which financial advisors say can provide financial and psychological benefits compared with going from full-time work to retirement. Among companies adopting phased retirement programs, figuring out how to provide benefits and set criteria for participation can be a sticking point in some HR suites. Potential legal and financial complications loom, not to mention the fact that some companies would like their longest tenured people to move on. The pandemic accelerated the pace of baby boomer retirements and created challenges for employers. From February 2020 through November of 2021, up to 2.6 million more people retired than were expected to given pre-pandemic trends. Universities have long offered phased retirement programs to tenured professors in part to make room for younger faculty. Others with the benefit, including the federal government, some law and accounting firms, and companies including Abbott Laboratories. Many of the new programs involve employees helping train workers who will eventually take their place. 
Owens Corning, a Toledo, Ohio-based maker of building and construction materials, launched a phased retirement program in 2020. Salaried employees age 55 or older with at least five years at the company can ask to be considered for the program, which allows part-time work and pay with full-time benefits, including health insurance, often for three to 12 months. The program gives the company time to recruit and train a successor before the employee in the job retires. Obstacles to adopting phased retirement programs can include the risk of lawsuits for allowing some, but not all, workers to participate. The rules of some pension and 401k plans can also create complexities. People phasing into retirement may want to tap their retirement benefits to supplement a lower paycheck. Many employers allow employees ages 59 and a half or older to tap into their 401k accounts without penalty, but some don't. Although companies can amend their pension plans to allow workers to take partial withdrawals starting as early as 59 and a half, that can backfire if it encourages more people to retire early. As with the work from home movement in the spring of 2020, the phased retirement movement will take some time to straighten out, but there is demand for this perk. Many employees nearing retirement have expressed interest in slowing their work lives down a bit to start their transition. With the rate of burnout increased due to the pandemic, a phased retirement strategy could help both employers and employees make the transition into retirement and job replacement. This week's third headline is what the Fed's interest rate increase means for you. The Fed raised interest rates, which can affect how much you pay on your mortgage, credit cards, and more. The Federal Reserve raised its short-term benchmark rate by one quarter of a percentage point last Wednesday. This widely expected decision increases the federal funds rate to between 0.25% and 0.50%. You'll feel the impact of rising rates on an individual level and on a household level. When interest rates go up or down, the resulting changes in other rates impact the way we borrow money, but also how we save our money. Frustrated house hunters, for example, have already seen mortgage rates increase in recent months, and rising rates mean homebuyers will pay a little more each month in mortgage payments. Here is a guide to when these changes might happen and a few things to watch as more interest rate increases are expected this year. Mortgages. The way mortgage prices are set is based largely on the yield of the 10-year U.S. government bond, also known as a treasury note. This rate is used as a benchmark for all different types of loans, including mortgages. As the Fed has signaled higher rates, the 10-year yield has moved higher. This has, in turn, pushed the average rate on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage to over 4% for the first time since 2019. A year ago, it was 3.05%, according to Freddie Mac. Over the past two years, low rates and low inventory have fueled a white-hot housing market, with skyrocketing home values leading to fierce bidding wars. As of January, the median sales price of a single-family home stood at over $357,000, up nearly 16% year-over-year. The prospect of higher rates has begun to reduce refinancing demand, and rising mortgage rates will likely create even more difficulty for those hunting. We'll likely see some decline or at least a slowdown in mortgage volume over the next few months. High-yield savings accounts and certificates of deposit. Right now, banks have little incentive to raise interest rates on savings accounts. During the pandemic, Americans have been hoarding cash, leading to the highest personal savings rate since World War II, then edging down in recent months. The interest rates offered on savings accounts and many certificates of deposit often move with the federal funds rate. According to the FDIC, the average annual percentage yield on a one-year CD is only 0.14%. Goldman Sachs' Marcus account is now offering 0.5%, 
and online banks like Ally and Discover are also offering half a percent for their high yield savings products. Auto loans. When you take out a car loan, that loan has a fixed interest rate pegged to treasury yields. This means the rise in interest rates shouldn't bring any surprises for those who have already secured their fixed rate. For those looking to buy in the hot car market, make sure you do the math on financing a vehicle. In addition, keep in mind that individual car dealers and lenders can charge different amounts for your specific new car loan. According to Bankrate.com, the average rate on a five-year new car loan was 3.98% the week of March 10th. Credit cards. It's always an excellent time to pay down your credit card debt, but interest rate increases make it more costly to hold credit card debt. Interest rates on credit cards was already trending higher before the rate increase was announced. In March, the average annual percentage rate for those with good credit was 18.98%. As generous rewards and points programs become more popular, these perks are costing banks more, leading many to raise interest rates to cover such costs. Student loans. For those with federal loans, interest rates have already been set for the 2021-2022 school year. Every May, the interest rates for federal student loans is set according to the 10-year Treasury note auction. These rates are fixed for the entirety of the life of the loan. The rate for direct, subsidized, and unsubsidized undergraduate loans is currently 3.73% until June 2022. Next year, the rate increase could impact loans distributed for the following academic year. Private education loans, however, could be affected by the rise in rates. Private student loans either charge fixed rates, which stay constant, or variable rates, which can increase or decrease depending on the institution you borrow from or your individual financial circumstances. The recent interest rate hike and future hikes that the Fed makes will impact every American household from their spending habits to their saving habits. If you have credit card debt, make sure to pay it off as fast as possible. Shop your savings account interest rate and find the highest offering. And before buying a new car or refinancing your mortgage, do the math ahead of time on the monthly payments to know exactly what you can afford. If you have any questions about how the recent or future rate increases may affect your unique situation, give me a call. This week's financial planning topic is goals without deadlines are just dreams. Business author Harvey McKay often quoted that a dream is just a dream. A goal is a dream with a plan and a deadline. Artist Pablo Picasso followed up on that by quoting, our goals can only be reached through a vehicle of a plan in which we must fervently believe and upon which we must vigorously act. There is no other route to success. We all have dreams and many of us have goals even though we may not realize that we have them. Life mandates deadlines on us without discrimination. Retirement age, life expectancy, children and grandchildren's birth, the start of college, weddings, and the list goes on and on. We should all begin to think of these goals as liabilities to be funded by our investment assets. In fact, investment assets exist solely to fund our goals. We spend a great deal of time managing our investments. Doesn't it make sense that our goals should be managed as well? They should be measured and tracked for adequate time and funding. This creates a sort of household balance sheet which can be managed over one's lifetime. Investment assets on the left should equal goals on the right. Any shortfall is to be corrected by adding more to the investments or by decreasing the cost of goals. Overfunding can result in the increasing of existing goals or the addition of new goals. Families should begin to think that financial success is directly related to goal attainment and not to beating some investment index. You can't manage what you don't measure. A household balance sheet is a great tool to evaluate whether your goal plan is affordable 
and whether or not you are on track to achieve your goals. We have successfully used the household balance sheet to assist clients in turning their dreams into goals and the crafting of family financial plans to achieve them. I would like to make the household balance sheet available to our listeners free of charge in an initial one-hour meeting. In this meeting, we will discuss your family's goals and objectives and existing plans for their funding. The completion of the household balance sheet will allow families to see if they are on track for the successful funding of their goals or if there is a critical shortfall in funding. If you and your life savings are being ignored or feeling taken advantage of, come join our family. We are a family-owned financial planning and investment advisory firm who promise to treat you like family. No products, no hard sell, no gimmicks, just honest advice based on our four decades of experience. If you have any questions on this week's episode or are interested in getting an unbiased opinion on your finances, please give us a call at 440-235-2100 or email me at cameron at michaelbradyco.com. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed.